We choose to rejoice in you, Lord God. We'll never stop singing. God, we say today, even as the song said uh, earlier, Lord, all of the glory belongs to you. Oh, you deserve it, Lord. You deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve it. And we love you this morning. We thank you. God, I pray, Lord, even as I teach the word this morning, that you would wear me like a glove. That, Father, you'd be the substance of everything that's said. And that, Father, every person would hear your word deep in their hearts. They'll hear your voice speaking to them, Lord. And that, Father, they would walk away different than they came. Challenge us, change us, chastise us. Do what you need to do. That we would be more like Christ. We love you, we honor you, we submit to you now. In Jesus' name, and everyone say, Amen, Amen. amen. You may be seated this morning, Amen. And God is so good. Woo! Man, this is my uh, favorite time of year. This is my favorite time of year. Um, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, I have a daughter. Her name is Amanda. And Amanda starts celebrating Christmas, like, from the first day of November. Like, just, it just, that's when Christmas starts for her. Because she wants Christmas to last as long as possible. And so, we're pulling down the tree about the 25th, 26th, 27th of January. And um, putting all the stuff away. Because Amanda is just a Christmas person. I lo- I, she's my child. I love this time of year. I love November, especially because, um, first of all, my birthday is in November. Hello. All the November people. A lot of November fans in here this morning. Amen. Thanksgiving is in November. Yeah, yeah. And Black Friday is in November. (laughs) I I hear something on this section. (laughs) You know what? What's so interesting is that Black Friday is the day after Thanksgiving. That's really funny to me, right? Okay, like just... Just, just listen, I grew up in a culture we didn't have Thanksgiving. And we definitely didn't have Black Friday. And um, so, you know, coming here, we have Thanksgiving, which I really love. I love Thanksgiving. And the next day is like, and no, it's not even the next day. Now we're like, hey, you know what? After you finish Thanksgiving dinner, you know, you can come to Black Friday. So, so on one day, you're giving thanks. And then the next day, you're trampling people so you can get that 60-inch television set. <laughs> We've, we've really changed this season, right? From being a season of thanksgiving to a season of gift getting. You saw how I switched that on you right there? It's true, right? It's true. So today, I want to help us to focus our hearts or refocus our hearts on how to approach this season. Because it's coming and it's coming fast. Whether you are ready or not, here it comes. Ready or not, here it comes. And in order to make this, this season uh, a, a season of thanks and giving, we need to have a right heart towards it. You see, there, there are four kinds of hearts we can have as we enter this season. We can either have a, a complaining heart, a covetous heart, a concerned heart or a contented heart. We can either be complaining, covetous, concerned, or content. And so today we're going to talk through each of these hearts and just kind of where we are and where we need to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
First of all, uh, a complaining heart. I want to talk to you about a complaining heart because today our message is real, is entitled, Tis a Season of Thanks and Giving. Someone say thanks, thanks. and giving. Thanks. Amen. Uh, a complaining heart. It is so difficult to be a complainer and a thanksgiver at the same time. I, I, I hear people try it a lot. You ever hear somebody say, um, uh, Thank you, thank you for the glasses, but you couldn't get me a, a yellow one instead. <laughs> How many of you know you don't feel very thanked when somebody says that, right? Because there is a, there is a, when people complain, somehow it, 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 it erases all the thanks that was put in it. All the gratitude gets erased when people start to complain. Philippians 2 verse 14. I love this scripture. Philippians 2 verse 14. It says, do everything without complaining. Do everything without complaining. Turn to the person beside you and say everything. Do everything without complaining. Look, I haven't mastered this one as yet. I'm trying. It says do all things without complaining and disputing. I'm going to read on a little bit further. It says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Here's, here's what it's saying. Everybody around you is already complaining. So when you don't complain, when you don't grumble, you shine like lights. You're like a light. Everybody's like, what's wrong with you? And you know what's right with me? I'm not complaining. You, you can't be a complainer and a thanksgiver at the same time. There are four kinds of complainers. Four types of complainers. One is the whiner. The whiner. Alright, look, I'm about to tell you about these, and I don't want you to be thinking about anybody else but yourself, alright? <laughs> because I already know some of you are like, you're just like greasing up your elbow right now. Because you're ready to do that. Alright? Now some of this is like your kids are right here. Some of this, your parents are right here. Can I tell you something? Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Here we go. Okay. So the first one is the whiner. The whiner. David was kind of like this sometimes. Okay? Great worshiper. But man, there were times David could whine. Alright? Look look at this. Psalm 73 verse 13. This is in the, the living Bible. It says, Have I been wasting my time? Why take all the trouble to be pure? All I get out of it is trouble and woe. Man, that's pretty hard right there. In fact, to be fair to David, he goes on to say, if I, if I had said this, I would have betrayed the children of God. And so here's, here's what David was saying. All these thoughts were going in my head. Man, why am I even trying? Why am I even trying? I mean, Johnny over there, he ain't going to church. He's not serving God. And look, he just won the lottery. <laughs> what about me? What about me? Uh, a, a, a whiner's favorite phrase is, it's not fair. It's not fair. Um, I have a bunch of whiners, I mean children in my house. We're always talking about what's fair and what's not fair. And a lot of times, you know what? I, I'll sit down with uh, one of my kids and say, you know, was it fair that you got this and they didn't get that? And notice you don't talk about it's not fair when you get more. <laughs> Whiners never complain about getting more. 
They always complain when somebody else gets more. And so they never recognize when they do. And so their gratitude is low because they don't appreciate what they actually got. Amen. Amen. And so a whiner, a whiner's favorite phrase, it's not fair. Um, can I tell you something? God never said it was going to be fair. Um, it's ne- the day Adam ate that apple, it stopped being fair. But one day it will be fair in heaven. In heaven it's going to be fair and God is going to level the playing field. Until then, nobody has it fair down here. Nobody. Right? We we'll all see somebody that has something that we wish was better in our lives than it. And guess what? That's normal as human. But here's the difference. The whiner, that's what they harp on. That's what they focus on. That's all they see. That's the whiner. Here, here, here's, the, here's the next person. The martyr. The martyr. The martyr is um, Moses. Right? You know Moses. Moses uh, said in Numbers 11, he said to the Lord, What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. You know a martyr because a martyr is always starting a pity party. You cannot talk to a martyr without telling you all their ailments. (laughs) All the stuff, all the pressure they're under, all the stress, everything that's going wrong in their life. Right? A martyr will even cover it up by saying things like, um, it's okay, you don't need to spend time with me now. It's not like I have anyone else to talk to. <laughs> After all I've done for you and carried you for nine months. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Not, I'm not saying it's mine. I'm just saying, you know, that's, that's kind of it. You know, they'll, they'll always remind you of their sacrifice and then tell you about all the things that are wrong. Does anybody? No, 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 no. Ah. Uh, stop. Okay. So these guys are pros at pity parties, all right? They're pros at pity parties. Here's the next one. The cynic. The cynic. Um, this is Solomon, right? Solomon, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2 says this. Um, What's there to show for a lifetime of work? A lifetime of working your fingers to the bone. One generation goes its way, the next one arrives, but nothing changes. This is the, the cynic is like, nothing will ever change. You know, oh, thank you. Thank you for, um, thank you for the Christmas gift. But um, I know it's going to be the same. I'm going to have to throw it out just like last year's. <laughs> the cynic sees... No good thing because everything is going to stay just the same anyway. That's the cynic. Um, the, the last one, the perfectionist. The perfectionist. Um, nothing is ever right for this person. It's never good enough. It's like, uh, you bought me a white iPhone 10? Like when I was standing in the Apple store saying, boy, I'd love one of these for Christmas. Didn't you notice I was in front of the black iPhone 10? That's, that's, that's the perfectionist. The perfectionist, their favorite phrase is, that's not right. That's just not, that's not right. I, I, they always know what to cut. There's always something to correct. It is never good Come on now, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are really excited right now. Um, here's, a, 
here's what Solomon says. Solomon had a, had a number of wives, and I, I think a couple of them were perfectionists, because here's what he says. Um, better to live out in the desert than with a nagging, complaining wife. I'm going I'm to keep looking down. Listen, this refers to husbands too, all right? <laughs> this refers to, no wonder he was a cynic, man. Nothing will ever change because he had these, but perfectionists nag. Perfectionists nag, right? Because nothing is ever right. So you have a complaining heart. Here's a second heart, a covetous heart, a covetous heart. Um, you can't be covetous and thankful at the same time. Uh, what does that mean, covetous? What does it mean? Covet means to long after. It means to desire to acquire because somebody else has or because you don't think you'll ever be good enough without. Um, the desire to acquire in itself is not bad, but uncontrolled, it will see the object of its desire as the source of fulfillment. And that's the problem with Covetousness. Covetousness is never satisfied till it gets whatever it's longing for. And once it gets it, it starts to long for something else. See, a covetous person always thinks when and then. When and then. When I get the iPhone 10, then I'll be happy. When I get a new car, then I'll be happy. When I get married, then I'll be happy. When, so it's always when and then. It's always when I get, then I'll be. Uh, a covetous heart never has enough. It's never enough. Colossians 3 verse 5 says this, Therefore put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and watch this, covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Um, the New Living Translation, I like how it says, it says, don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. In other words, the covetous person sees that thing as providing the things that only God can. If I get it, I'll have peace. If I get it, I'll have joy. If I get it, I will be happy as a covetous person. Um... There are three effects of covetousness that will rob you of your thankfulness, rob you of your joy. Number one is fatigue. Fatigue. Uh, Proverbs 23, 4 says, Don't wear yourself out trying to be rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Sometimes we're just like, you know, two jobs, three jobs. We're working nine to twelve. We're doing all kinds of things. Pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. Not because our needs are not met, but because it's just not satisfying. So we got to get more. It's got to be bigger and shinier and newer. Fatigue. Here, here's the second thing that, it, that, that will cause, uh, that effects of covetousness that will rob your thankfulness or joy. Uh, debt. Debt. Covetous people end up in debt a lot. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5.11 says, The more you have, the more you spend, right up to the limits of your income. Uh, no, this was the, the day before credit. This didn't have, we didn't have much credit then. Right now, it's past the limits of our income. Am I right? 
<laughs> right? People, you know, the average American puts on $1,300 worth of credit for every $1,000 they have to spend. Credit card debt is one of the hugest debts in our country right now. Huge. Bigger than the house mortgage, bigger than all that. Credit card debt. Just, uh, you know, just spending on stuff. Just stuff. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 5.11 says this. The more you have... Oh, sorry, I said that already. It's not a money problem. Here's what I want to tell you. It's not a money problem. It's a heart problem. It's not people don't make enough money. It's just that their wants are greater than the amount that they make. Oftentimes, it's not they're trying to meet needs. They're really trying to meet greeds. And you've got to check your heart and say, man, am I doing this? Am I walking into this season, this Thanksgiving Christmas season? Am I walking into this just saying, I can't wait until I can get that thing, that thing, the newest, the best, the brightest, the shiniest, the coolest. I mean, is that the drive? Here's the other thing, dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has enough. <laughs> Is that something? Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Wow. Uh, Here's here's a question. I was thinking about this. I wonder how many of us are still thrilled with the present we got last Christmas. I wonder how many of us remember the present we got last Christmas. We don't remember it. We're just like, last Christmas, last Christmas, last Christmas. But you're dying for it. You're so like, oh my God, I can't wait. You know, let me get it. And now you don't even remember what it, what was that again? Let me think about it. And some of you, like your spouse is like, you better remember what I gave you last Christmas. You know, because right now, that's so, it's like, huh? You know what? Things only satisfy for so long. And then, it's done. It's done. It's gone. It don't, it don't matter anymore. It doesn't even bother you anymore. So during this time of thanks and giving, a covetous heart will make you feel like you don't have enough to be thankful for and even less to give. How do you give when you feel like you don't have enough? Are you following me? Amen. All right. Number three, a concerned heart. A concerned heart. Now, when we say a concerned heart, I'm talking about worry, okay? A concerned heart, worry. So, either a complaining heart, a covetous heart, a concerned heart. It's hard to be worried and thankful at the same time. Hard. Here's what Proverbs 12, verse 25 says. It says, anxiety weighs the heart down. Man, when you're anxious for stuff, your heart gets heavy. When you're anxious, you just get like, oh my gosh, you feel like you're burdened. It's like stress, it's like pressure is on. And you know, just the mere mention of Christmas is just like, oh my God. Like you just feel so burdened because there is this fear and this anxiety and all this kind of stuff going on in your heart. Uh, Three problems with worry. Uh, Number one, worry is unhelpful. Worry is unhelpful because it never accomplishes anything. Think about this. You spend time worrying about the past and you can't change it. You spend time worrying about the future and you can't control it. All you have left is the present and you're messing it up. (laughs) 
we spend so much time worrying. If you're worrying about something you can do nothing about, you need to stop. If you're worrying about something that you can do something about, do something about it. We spend so much time in worry. Worry. It's unhelpful. Here's the other thing. Worry is unreasonable. Worry is unreasonable. Here's why. Because it always makes the problem bigger than it actually is. Alright, how many of you do... Okay, come on. Everybody should be able to put your hand up for this. How many of you have been worried about something and at the end of it turned out to be nothing? Amen. Because you know what we do? We make that thing so large in our eyes, so large. Our minds work over time. We start thinking about what they're going to say. If they say that, then I'm going to say that. And if they say that, then I'm really going to say that. And oh my God. And before you know it, I'm going to be on the desk. And I'm going to be, who are you to talk to me? And I mean, you're all over the place with this worry. You walk into the meeting and the person's like, hey, you know what, I just want to let you know that, that, And you're just like, that's it? Yeah, that's it. I just spent 24 hours worried about this meeting that didn't turn out to be anything. Man, worse. So, I mean, somebody called your phone and said, hey, um, I need to speak to you. Oh my God. Oh Lord. What did I do now? I think it just worry and worry and worry. Worry. Unreasonable. Here's the other thing. Worry is unhealthy. And ulcers, backache, neckache, headache, heartache, right? Toothache. I don't know. I'm not sure there's a connection between stress and toothache, but it's unha- it makes you unhappy, unhealthy. The English, the old English word for worry is the words to strangle or to choke. That's heavy right there. Um, listen to this quote. Mahatma Gandhi said this. There's nothing that wastes the body like worry. And one who has any faith in God should be ashamed to worry about anything whatsoever. Oh my gosh. Yes, Amen. One who has any faith in God should be ashamed to worry about anything whatsoever. See, worry makes us expect the worst in life. Worry paints the worst picture in our minds and it makes us expect the worst in life. In other words, worry is having faith in Satan's plan for us. You ever think about that? Worry is having faith in Satan's plan for us. What do we think about when we think about worry? Steal, kill, destroy. That's it. If we had as much faith in God's word as we did when we worry, oh my gosh, the expectation we would have of God's best, that we are the head and not the tail, that we are above only and not beneath, that we are victors and not victims, that we are the lender and not the borrower. Oh my gosh, we could go on and on. God's best to have faith. In what he says. That's what we should be rehearsing in our mind. That's why the Bible says, Meditate in my law day and night. Then you will make your way prosperous. Prosperous. Amen? Amen. So worry makes us expect the worst in life. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Be anxious about nothing. Or do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation. Say every situation. 
every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, pre- present your requests to God. I say it this way, look. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Amen. Amen. God isn't just interested in your spiritual needs. He's interested in every need. And so if you're worried about it, then pray about it. Because prayer stops worry in its tracks. Amen? Amen. And so we come to the fourth heart. So let's go over the other three. Number one, you can either have a complaining heart, a covetous heart, a concerned heart, or you can have a contented heart. A contented heart. A contented heart is really the solution to all of the above. Philippians 4.11 says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. This is Paul speaking. He's been to the Philippians church, and he's writing them from jail. He's awaiting his own execution by Nero. And he's sitting in jail, and he says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. I don't know if your circumstance is worse than Paul's, but Paul says, I've learned to be content in the midst of my jail cell, awaiting my own execution. I've learned to be content. Uh, The big word in that sentence there is learned. It's learned. Why? Because it doesn't come naturally. Contentment is not something that we just get born with. As we're born, we all know children, mine, 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 gimme, gimme, right? It's all, it's all like, ah, feed me, feed me, take care of me, wipe me, change me. It's all about me. It's all about me. I'm hungry. I'm, right? Children do that. So here, here's the thing. You have to learn to be content because learning to be content is a sign of maturity. So how do we do that? Three things. First of all, repent of my heart problem. Um, you have to admit that you have a problem with complaining or covetousness or worry. You see, Solomon said this in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. He says, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. That's, and that's, it's obvious. If you don't think you have a problem, then you won't try to solve them. If you don't think you have a problem, you'll never try to solve them. So a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. I got like that. I want another chance, amen? I want another chance. Nice. So... One of the most difficult part in learning how to handle complaining or covetousness or being overly concerned is recognizing it in yourself. If you're a complainer, it is not somebody else's fault. I'm saying that to all you complainers because complainers think it's somebody else's fault. All the time. No one ever complains about something that's their fault. They're always talking about somebody else. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. That was really good right there. (laughs) If you're a complainer, I want to encourage you. Listen to me. If you're right now thinking, well, I wouldn't complain if such and such didn't do such and such. You're a complainer. (laughs) 
I heard, I read, I read a true story. Somebody said true story. True story. Several years ago, a man walked into a bank to rob the bank, right? And he goes up to the teller, right, with a gun, sticks up the teller and says, uh, give me $20,000. The woman gives him this, you know, money in whatever it was, case or bag. He goes home and he realizes that she shortchanged him. So he goes back to the bank to complain about the customer service. And that's when they arrest him. Listen. (laughs) Complaining, it's not somebody else's fault. You have a heart problem. You have a heart problem. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Um, If you're covetous, look. You've got to, you have to check that. People, let me tell you something. Greed is not something that we find easy to identify in ourselves. It's very, very difficult to identify greed in ourselves. Because nobody likes to say, I'm greedy. Hey, you know what? I have a confession. I'm greedy. Thank you, Pastor Che, for sharing. Nobody says that, right? That doesn't happen. And the reason why is because what, what happens is that we always end up in this comparison to other people. And we just figure, hey, they're rich. I'm not. And so therefore I want. But rich people never actually see themselves as rich. All right, I'm going to move on. Let me just move on. I'm going to move on because this is going to be too long. But you've got to recognize if you are worried in your heart, are you taking control back from God and trying to control things yourself? If we recorded you for a week, how much time would you spend whining, wanting, or worrying? Here's the thing. These are all serious. And a lot of times what we do is don't play these things because we think that's everybody does them. So it's not that big a deal. But these are all really serious. Think about this. Complaining was the sin that kept the Israelites out of the promised land. Yeah? Covetousness is called idolatry in the Bible. And worrying says, I don't trust God. So we got to repent of our heart problems. If we don't repent, we're going to get stuck. If we're going to have a contented, contented heart, then we've got to start with repenting of these other hearts. Here's the other thing you got to do. Step number two. Rejoice in what I do have. Rejoice in what I do have. Appreciate what you've got and be grateful to God. Open your eyes. The old saints used to say, count your blessings one by one. You remember that? Count your blessings. Sometimes we don't spend enough time counting our blessings one by one. One of the things that I do now as a part of my time alone with the Lord is that I have a little like uh, online journal that I do. Um, One of the things that I do is just write down five things that I'm grateful for today. Man, if you start every day going, let me write down five things that I'm grateful for today. Man, you'll be, you be amazed how your heart starts to shift from all your problems unto all the things you're thankful for. You don't have to walk around just worried about what you, you don't have in your life. Look at all that you do have in your life. A lot of times we just, we just so, and, and, I, and, and I, I see this with my kids, right? We all have kids that we see with our kids. Our kids come up and come, well, say, Johnny has a bicycle. And you're thinking, what is wrong with you, boy? Don't you see all, in fact, Christmas is almost like one of the worst times because sometimes our kids get so many gifts, they're not even, they don't, they don't even use it. 
And we're like, what's happened? You're not using that toy <laughs> that I bought for you. And you're like, no, I'm, I'm watching the iPad or I'm doing this. And you're like, what? I, but we bought this. We buy too much things for them. Right, I'm talking to myself right now. I'm talking to myself right now. <laughs> Speaking to myself right now. <laughs> A lot of times, we see in our kids the fact that they're not grateful for what they have, but we don't see it in ourselves. When they complain, we're thinking, after you have so much, do you know that there are children in China who don't even know where they... You know, like... <laughs> My mother used to tell me that all the time, right? Don't you throw away that food. There are children in China who don't have any food to eat. Not anymore. China done pass us, so... Not <laughs> say that anymore. But the point is... Now, a lot of times we see in our kids the same issues we have in our own hearts. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so, rejoice in what you have. Uh, uh, here's, here's what 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Notice it doesn't say for all circumstances, it says in all circumstances. Because it's not that God is saying you should thank Him for everything that comes your way, but in the midst of whatever comes your way, you can thank Him. And here's why you can thank Him. Because you know that all things work together for good anyway. I can thank Him because I know everything works together for good. Here's the other reason I can thank Him. Because God's purpose for my life is greater than the problems in my life. God's purpose for my life is greater than the problems in my life. In fact, He promises that my problems will work for me to give me even more glory. Everything that comes my way, I can become better or I can become bitter. It's up to me. I get to choose. And so He says, thank Him in all circumstances. You see, when we see God's hand in the midst of our situation, it's a tremendous antidote. For complaining or covetousness or concern. Of course, there are things in your life that you're not satisfied with. I'm not saying that you should just kind of drop your hands and say, hey, I'm not going to fix anything. But in spite of that, I believe you can always find something to be thankful for. Even if you don't like how your husband behaving. Guess what? Give thanks that you have a husband. Praise the Lord. Come on now. Somebody don't have one. <laughs> Give thanks for your wife. So, amen. Thank the Lord. Man, as much as your kids are annoyed, listen, thank God you have kids. Thank God you have a job. Thank God you have something. You know what? I heard this, this lady, she was trying to have a baby. And you know what? She's been trying to have a baby for years. She said, if I hear a pregnant woman complain one more time about what it's like to be pregnant, I'm going to slap her. Because when you're trying to do something that somebody else has so easy, you don't want to hear them complain. You don't want to hear them complain. You're like, you ungrateful. Child of God. (laughs) Here's the thing. When you learn to be thankful... In spite of circumstances, that's maturity. That's maturity right there. Because what it says is, my circumstances do not control me. 
Amen. Amen. Last point. Repent of your heart problems. Rejoice in what you have. Lastly, release what I have to help others. Release what I have to help others. First Timothy 6, verse 17 to 19 says this. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Now before you say that you're not rich, let me just tell you something. I'm from Jamaica. Y'all are rich. Okay. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Um, You have a bed to sleep in tonight. And you have a pillow to put on that bed. And you're not worried about your roof flying off when the next breeze passes through. You have central AC. We have a fan. (laughs) I'm telling you. Americans are in the top 2% of wealthiest people in the world. So when you think, oh, this was written to someone else, everyone thinks it's written to somebody else. Everyone thinks it's written to somebody else. Because everyone measures their wealth against somebody who has more. Hey... So, let me start again. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need, watch this, for our enjoyment. Man, the things that you have, God has provided. And here's why He provided. So you could enjoy it. Not complain about it. Not gripe about it. Not whine about it. Not No, no, no. So that you can enjoy it. You go home today and you turn on your water and it's actually running water in your house. Rejoice. Some people have a bucket and a river that they have to walk to for miles. Rejoice. Rejoice when you put in your hair product. Some people don't have nothing. That, they, they don't even think about that. You know what I mean? We have like rich people problems. Like when your phone isn't sending the text fast enough, that's a rich person problem. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? Okay, so here's the thing. You have a phone. Thank you, Jesus, for the phone. Thank you, Jesus, for the clothes. Thank you, Jesus. You just start like, thank you, God, for this car. Man, you live in Texas, I mean, you drive. Man, thank you for this car. Oh, yeah, it may be sputtering and doing all sorts of things, but I have a car. Thank you, God. May start to rejoice. Watch it. Then he says this. It's for your enjoyment. Then he says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. I love it. By doing this, they will be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. God says, look, I have blessed you to be a blessing. Blessing. Amen. Keep your hands together right there. I was... I was sharing these, these four hearts last night. Um, San and, and Samantha and I went out to, to have ice cream and I was telling Samantha about the message that, you know, I have these, these four hearts. And so San was overhearing me and she says, I have another heart for you, daddy. And I said, what was that? And she says, a compassionate heart. Yeah, I know, right? A compassionate heart. And I thought, you know what? Here's, here's, here's true. When somebody's content, then they have space to be compassionate. Because a contented person says, 
my needs are met. And they start looking outside of themselves to see other people's needs. A compassionate heart. Because it helps us focus on the needs of others. God doesn't just want to bless you for you. He wants you to pass it on. Give to someone who is in greater need. You know what? Here's what I've realized happened. When I give to someone who has a greater need than myself, I create a new level of gratitude in my own heart. Giving creates gratitude. And gratitude creates giving. If you have a hard time with a grateful heart, give to somebody else. Being grateful makes you more generous. And being generous makes you more grateful. They work together like thanks and giving. Like thanks and giving. So this Christmas, I want to encourage you. This season, this Christmas, seek to be a giver. Seek to bless somebody. Look out a couple of Christmases ago, last story and I'm done. Um, my family and I decided to visit another family in our church and um, because they were going through a, a hard time. So we all went over there, the whole family went over there and we brought some food for them and we just spent time with them and just blessed them. And um, here's the thing. My kids cannot remember which presents they got that Christmas, but they remember what they gave that Christmas. If you turn this into a time of thanks and giving, you remember more of what you gave than what you got. That's why it says it's more blessed to than to. Amen. Could you put your hands together and bless the Lord? Bow your heads with me real quick. I want to pray for us. And I also want to invite some people to make Jesus their Lord. Father, this morning, we all stand convicted, Lord God. Convicted in one way or another. Because Lord God, as we enter this season, even over the last maybe week or two or three, Lord, we've been caught in complaining, or covetousness, or worry. We've allowed our hearts to draw away from being content in you. Help us, Lord. Help us to be people who recognize how much you've blessed us with, to be thankful, to be generous, to be giving, to look out for those who have less than we do, than we do, Lord God. Father, we submit ourselves to you, Lord, and we repent of a heart that's off. I say, God, teach us to be content. Open our eyes to see what we have and to see what others don't have and how we can meet them at their point of need. God, sometimes not even a money thing. Sometimes it's just serving. Sometimes it's just encouraging. Sometimes just being there. Father, we want this season to be a true season of thanks 
and giving. Hallelujah. If you're here this morning, 